Well, I want to say hello to uh, those of you who are joining us online this morning, especially to Kennedy. Hi, Kennedy. I just got a text message from her mom a few minutes ago, and she was up at the screen on the TV giving me a little knuckle high five. So knucks back to you, Kennedy. Good morning. Uh, we'd like to connect with you uh, both in the room as well as online. Online, it's got to be a little bit more creative. So there's a host that's live and in the chat right now. You can certainly talk with that host uh, at any time throughout the service, as well as uh, for the few minutes after. Afterwards as well. Drop us an email if we can connect with you in the room. If we haven't met or we haven't talked for a long time, I'll be hanging around this area with some of my other uh, teammates. If we can uh, just minister to you, pray for you, uh, chat just a little bit, we would enjoy doing that. Before I get into uh, this week's installment in this series in the Minor Prophets, I want to just mention uh, Easter and specifically baptism. We're going to do something on Easter that we haven't done for a few years, which is to have baptisms on on Easter. This is something we have done a few times. On the day we celebrate this move of Christ from death to life, uh, it's just really appropriate, I think, that some of us use that as our opportunity to make a similar declaration that we have moved ourselves, spiritually speaking, from death to life by following Jesus. And so for any of you if that's a next step, uh, this has been something that uh, throughout the history of the church has been a mile marker, a, a stake in the ground when it comes to our spiritual journey. Some of you, uh, that's your next step. And so Easter is a great time to think about that. Over the next couple of weekends, we'll have some uh, gatherings after the services for just conversation, a meeting about baptism. So just be thinking and praying about whether or not that's your next step, and we would love to journey with you uh, toward that end. So let's um, look ahead to Easter. We're not that far away from that. Okay, this is message number four in this series, Books We Don't Read. We're teaching these obscure works of the Old Testament, the portion of the Bible that we just kind of skip over most of the time, partly because these texts are, are weird, they're hard, they're intense, they're filled with metaphor, they're kind of hard to understand. So a lot of times we just sort of pass them by, but not for a few weeks here. These uh, works of scripture are rich with meaning and purpose, they're worth studying and applying. And so this weekend, we're going to meet the prophet Habakkuk. That's how some people call him, Habakkuk. Some say Habakkuk. And then my friend Felipe, one of our staff teammates here, calls him Habakkuk. I'm not sure which is the right one, but uh, that's the guy, Habakkuk. His story is kind of a blip. It's just three short chapters. It's, it's one of the shorter ones. You can read it in just a few minutes. And I want to have us dive into this a little bit today. I thought about not doing a message on Habakkuk in this series because in the summer of 2021, I actually did a similar message to this one. And so I thought, well, we've talked about that, that not that long ago. But as I looked at all these minor prophets, I, I, I thought, oh, I really want to do this one because Habakkuk's message, I think, is especially applicable. And it's especially relevant to us today because Habakkuk is speaking to hurting people, to struggling people, to doubting people. It's for people who are confused. It's, it's a great message for anybody who might be a little bit mad, even mad at God, and that might be some of you. So he's speaking to strugglers. He's speaking to, to all of us. The text dates, this is a really ancient text, all the way from 612 to 589 BC, somewhere in there. He's an old Jewish prophet. He's a part-time temple musician in the southern kingdom of Israel called Judah at the time. 
Now, much of the story of the Old Testament is the story of the birth of the nation of Israel and all of their struggles. And so in context, Habakkuk is written at a time when the kingdom is divided. The, the kingdom of Israel is divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And then the north has already been largely wiped out. And the powerful Babylonians appear to be ready to kind of come in and do the same to the southern kingdom. So Habakkuk is writing at a time when he's having a struggle defining current reality. Like he doesn't know what's going on. It's a very uncertain and confusing time. So ever since I, I really started to learn his story and, and play around with it, it's been one of these go-to texts for me when I'm struggling, when I'm disappointed, when I'm a little bit confused, especially when I'm disappointed with God. By the way, I hope it's okay for me to admit that I struggle sometimes to understand what God is up to. I get frustrated with God's activity or maybe more accurately his inactivity. I do question sometimes, God, why, why are you allowing certain things to happen? Why, why do I see so much suffering around me? And I know some of you have those same feelings. When I see what's happening in the lives of, of people in our body, in our church, and in our community. I sometimes wonder, you know, why God doesn't act more decisively sometimes. God, why don't you do something? And I'm guessing some of you kind of have those same feelings at times where you look around and you just go, come on, God, what's up? Why? So let's get into this. I want you to see uh, this dialogue. That's really the best way to understand the book of Habakkuk, this little book of the Old Testament. It's a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. I want to show you how Habakkuk kind of challenges God a little bit. He has a little beef with God. And so they have this back and forth. Habakkuk's going to speak first, and then God's going to respond. And then when we're done looking at these two sides of the argument, I'll help you apply this a little bit in your own life. So let me show you the beginning of their exchange. This is from the very beginning of Habakkuk chapter 1. He says to God, how long, Lord, must I call to you for help? But you don't listen. I cry out to you, violence, but you don't save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing?" So again, right off the bat, you see that Habakkuk is not in a good place. He's grieving. He's, he's kind of stunned by what he sees happening around him. Now, a few years earlier, Josiah had been the ruler in Judah, and he prophesied about good times coming, but it's not really happened. The northern kingdom, again, is melting down. Everything's kind of melting down morally. Evil and injustice are having a day. The predicted good old days or good coming days have not happened. And making the situation even worse is these enemies of Israel are powering up. This is how he says it. Habakkuk says, destruction and violence are before me. This is likely a reference to the military forces of other nations coming for what's left of Israel. And then in verse 4, he says, the law is paralyzed. Now, again, the this is probably a reference to the Mosaic law, the, the law given to Moses, but people are ignoring the law now. The law has no power anymore. Everybody's just doing their own thing. It's a moral free-for-all, total chaos. So to paraphrase Habakkuk, at this point, he's essentially saying, again, God, why aren't, why aren't you listening to me? Why don't you do something? Are, are you just going to do nothing? 
why do you tolerate this? Why are you so absent? Why have you abandoned us? Why have you abandoned me? And again, I wonder if you've ever felt that. I wonder if some of you are feeling that right now, this morning. I bet some of you are feeling that. I bet almost all of you have expressed something like that. So Habakkuk laments for a few verses, and I'm going to jump to verse 12. He's very bold off the top. I want you to see what he does next. Uh, Verse 12 is where I think he really gets in God's dish. He says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? Are you not from everlasting? That's a remarkable statement. And it's one of those places where in the English translations of this ancient text, um, I think it maybe lacks a little precision. Other translations uh, render this one, God, are you not infinite? Now, this is uh, in the form of a question, but it's a rhetorical question. Uh, he's not requesting information. Habakkuk is, is saying, I thought you were God. I thought you were infinite, the great everlasting God, but maybe you're not. That's pretty bold. Maybe you're not who you've told me you are. Again, it's a question a lot of us ask sometimes. If God, if you're a loving, all-powerful God, why don't you demonstrate it? Why do you allow certain things to happen? This is really intense. Habakkuk is approaching God not with courtesy and respect and worship. He's being insolent. He's being a little bit rude even. Evil and injustice are all around me. It's not getting better. Look at what's happening in Israel. It's a mess. You're supposed to bring salvation to the world through our nation, but yet we're falling apart here. Everything is corrupt. Sin is just reigning. What is going on, God? Well, God's going to speak. It's going to answer Habakkuk, and his answer starts in verse 5 of chapter 1, but I'm going to start in verse 6 and then come back to verse 5. God says in verse 6, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people. So God tells Habakkuk he's going to allow a ruthless, vile nation to rise up and basically smack them down. God's going to punish them for their disobedience and permit Israel to be conquered by a non-God-fearing nation. In other words, things are going to get worse, way worse. This is why I think Habakkuk says what he says in verse 12. He's pouring out his heart. For several verses, he's pouring out his heart, calling on God to explain himself, complaining that God doesn't seem to be responding the way you know, he should. And God's response is, you think it's bad now? Wait a minute. It's actually going to get worse. And so that's why I think Habakkuk says in verse 12, you call that an answer? I just complained over and over again about why you're letting evil and injustice have its way, and your response is get ready for more, more injustice, more oppression. Habakkuk is very, very close to saying to God, you've kind of lost it, God. Like, you've lost your way. I thought you were supposed to be infinite. Maybe you're not. Yikes. Pretty intense. Now, you don't see a lot of examples of this in the scriptures, but there's a few. David uh, and other psalmists will kind of speak like this a few times in the psalms. Job comes close to this. Jeremiah Habakkuk is pushing really, really hard. He's challenging God right to his face. 
And so now we've come to the part I really want you to see. We've been building to this moment. I only read half of verse 12 a few moments ago. I want to show you the rest because what Habakkuk does in verse 12 is push back against God with a ton of, of, of just intensity and direction. But I want you to see how simultaneously he pushes hard but doesn't abandon God. Here it is. Right after he says, oh Lord, I thought you were everlasting. I thought you were infinite and powerful. You would expect the next statement to be something like, okay, so I reject you. I'm out. Instead, Habakkuk says, my God, my holy one, you will never die. Right there, back-to-back statements. The option of rejecting God and walking away apparently isn't on the table. He shakes his fist and then affirms God in really a couple of sentences. When we're thinking that God isn't operating in the way we think a good God should, when we feel that way, that's when we're most likely to walk away. When we're frustrated by God's actions or inactions, that's when we're tempted to to bail a little bit. That's when we tend to stop praying. That's when we tend to stop following. That's when we tend to stop obeying. Habakkuk accuses God of contradicting his own character, and it looks like he's at a breaking point, but notice what he's doing here. He's praying. He's praying, my God, my holy one. And as he prays in verse 12, he insults God with the first line and then affirms him in the second line. That's incredible. Tim Keller um, coined a phrase for this uh, that stuck with me a number of years ago. He calls something like this, wrestling faithfully. And I like that. I've kind of held on to those two words, wrestling faithfully. He pushes hard, Habakkuk pushes hard on God, but as confused and as frustrated as he is, he stays faithful. Now, this is a a good pause point because Uh, Some of you, you grew up in the church, and you may have been exposed to the Bible your whole life long, and you may have been conditioned to think that it's absolutely wrong to question God. Just, you know, accept everything by faith, don't question anything. If your parents or your youth leaders or some pastor or church taught you that it's wrong to question God, then you're not going to like Habakkuk very much. Or on the other hand, maybe you're naturally a little cynical about God. Maybe your way of negotiating complex theological truth is to just insist that it all has to make sense in your mind. It all has to line up with your way of thinking. Some people reject God because he doesn't seem to make sense to them. Sometimes I hear people say, I I can't see how a God could allow the kind of evil and suffering that I see happening around it, so therefore I I won't believe in him. I don't believe in him. Now, if you think about it, what's being said there is, uh, because I can't personally understand God's actions, therefore he must not exist. That's a pretty dramatic statement. Habakkuk chooses neither of these options. He expresses his frustrations and doubts very liberally, He's raw and he's honest, but he doesn't leave. He doesn't abandon faith. In the middle of his crying out, he, he calls God, O Holy One. Now, I don't know how close he came to walking, but what I do know is that he doesn't. He's faithful. He can't figure out this world with God, but the world makes even less sense without God. Habakkuk will not face this world on his own. 
So if you've been taught never to question God, there's a chance your faith might be a dishonest or legalistic faith. And I think Habakkuk is showing us another option. Call it unconditional faithful wrestling. Unconditional faithful wrestling. And by the way, if, if all of this, you know, you're struggling, feels a little unsettling, consider even why a prayer like this is included for us in the scripture. I mean, are we supposed to pray this way? Maybe, maybe not, but maybe this is a way of reminding us that we don't always have to put on a happy face and have perfect emotions and perfect faith. Maybe this is one of the places, biblically speaking, where we're being reminded that God's relationship with us is based on something more than our performance. It's based on his unconditional love. Here's what Derek Kidner, one of my favorite commentators, says about these kind of prayers. He says, the very presence of such prayers in the scriptures is a witness to God's understanding. He knows how we speak when we're desperate. He knows how we speak when we're desperate. Habakkuk feels the freedom to say these strong things to God and ask these hard questions because he is desperate. But he also knows something about the grace and the character of God. He knows that God is a God of grace. And so because of that, he's a faithful wrestler. This is how he deals with the difficult stuff. So one more time, are you desperate about anything this weekend? Is there anything going on in your life or in your world that makes you want to question God and his wisdom? I'm almost done. And I'll wrap this up in just a couple of moments here. And I want to pray into this at the end here. But before I quit, I want to just get a couple more thoughts on the table. Let's go back to uh, that part of, of God's initial response in verse 5. Verse 5 is an absolutely pregnant verse. There's a, a couple more nuggets here of truth I want to get out. So when Habakkuk questions God as in, you know, hey, God, you know what you're doing? Here's partly how God answers. And you're going to love this verse if you've never seen it. This is Habakkuk 1.5. God says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. God says, I'm going to do something that you're not going to understand. You're not going to believe it and you're not going to probably even get it. And it looks like this is a reference to that you know, threat about the Babylonians coming. Habakkuk says, you know, what's the deal with all the violence and, and, and the Babylonian thing? Like, where's this salvation you've been talking about? And God says, yeah, sorry. Uh, sorry to have to tell you that there's more coming. More injustice. But listen, this is not going to stop me from, from working out my salvation. I'm ultimately up to something. But in the short term, you may not see it. And you're definitely not going to get it. So what's to be learned here? Well, for starters, God is telling Habakkuk, God is telling us that we shouldn't evaluate his actions according to our sense of time. God says, don't judge me by your timetables. Don't measure me and my actions by your calendars. Habakkuk says, I don't understand. You said you were bringing salvation to, to the world through Israel, yet things are getting worse. Do you know what you're doing? God says, yeah, despite what's happening with the Babylonians, I'm up to something good. Habakkuk says, you call that an answer? God says, yeah, I do. <laughs> now, it's possible for us at this stage of history to look back and try to 
sort of piece together what was happening. We have the advantage, chronologically speaking. We can see now what Habakkuk could not have seen. So this is one possible explanation to Habakkuk's exasperated questions. Just one possible explanation. Uh, for just a second, a little church history. Historians suggest that the Jewish exile, the diaspora, the, the scattering of the believer of the, the Jewish people historically actually set the table for the explosive growth of the early church. Because things go down pretty much exactly like God says they will in Habakkuk 1. The Babylonians conquer Judah, the Jews are scattered, and they're exiled all over Palestine. And everywhere they go in these little groups, they put together little synagogues and they worship in, and study the law together. So fast forward a few hundred years to the arrival of Jesus and to the book of Acts and the explosive growth of the early church. Who are the people most receptive to the gospel? It's not the Jews. It's not the defiant pagans. It's Gentiles. Specifically, God-fearing Gentiles from the towns where there are these little synagogues. They're the ones who embrace Christianity first and begin to spread it throughout the known world. So there's a case to be made that the Babylonian conquering of the Jews, that scattering everybody into exile, actually sets the table for the early church. And you can keep playing this out. Historically speaking, when the Greeks conquer the world, they make the language their language, the language of the world. And that's when faith moves from just an oral tradition to a written scripture, written in Greek. Then along come the Romans and they conquer everybody for a while. Uh, there's peace because, you know, they're under the oppression of Rome. But this gives the gospel a little bit of freedom to spread. And then you have the series of powers, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, and the Romans. All of this stuff historically uh, contributes to the spread of Christianity. And ironically, the violence of these nations makes Christianity look so good in comparison that people begin to move towards the way of Jesus, Jesus because they don't like this violence of these, these nations. Think Habakkuk can see any of this stuff? Like, not a chance. Now, listen, I, I recognize that that little explanation may not satisfy you. Uh, it takes a special kind of faith to hold on when things are looking grim. And by the way, again, to our current reality, the world still feels pretty crazy. You know, it may seem like the pandemic is largely over, but the impact of all that we've been through and are going through is still being felt. Our planet is unhealthy in many ways. There's no shortage of conflict and polarization. There's a war going on in Europe. That's devastating. Faith deconstruction is uh, just at a level that I've never seen in my adult life. Every week, I hear more stories of, of sickness and death. Like, there's a lot going on. It's hard sometimes to be confident that there's something good happening out there. So if the main feeling you have toward God this morning is, God, I don't get what you're doing, I don't blame you or I don't judge you. One of the main points of this message is you're okay. You're in good company. By the way, if you think about it, this little exchange between God and Habakkuk is, is kind of humorous. Habakkuk says basically at the beginning, God, tell me what you're doing. And God says, okay, I'll tell you, but you're not going to get it. And Habakkuk says, okay, try me, tell me. And God says, here it is. And Habakkuk says, I don't get it. And God says, I knew you wouldn't get it. Like, 
they're, they're, this little exchange, they almost sound like a parent and a child here. And that maybe is a good way to look at this because we are sometimes like children. When you or I decide that we're not going to trust God because we don't understand what he's doing or not doing, that's not the most mature perspective, right? When we insist that God must act in the way we think he ought to act, that's not a really mature outlook. So as best you can today, don't demand that God do what you think he ought to do. Don't Try to understand God's actions based on your idea of timing. When his actions are confusing, listen, his track record indicates that he's probably up to something that we can't see. At least not yet. And one more quick lesson from this little exchange, and I don't know how else to put this, but God's redemption and restoration promises always find their supreme expression in the person of Jesus. Remember, What Habakkuk is most frustrated about is the promise that's made to Abraham in Genesis. I've told you this before, and I'll remind you of this again. Understand these prophetic works always in light of what happens in Genesis, where God makes this promise to Abraham that he's going to raise up this nation that will be a blessing to the rest of the world. God is up to something through Israel. And so this is why I think Habakkuk's frustration is justified. The northern kingdom is gone. There's lawlessness. There's injustice all around him. The Babylonians are coming. It looks like God's Genesis promise is toast. But when God makes that promise to Abraham, most of the Jews kind of are conditioned to believe that this means they're going to be the big dog nation. They're going to kind of be large and in charge. But God is ultimately already speaking about Jesus all the way back in Genesis. Let me show you what I mean. Centuries later, the Apostle Paul is leading the early church, and he's telling people about Jesus, and he's preaching salvation messages. And this is something that you see in Acts chapter 13. Paul is preaching uh, crucifixion and resurrection and grace through Christ, and this is what he says near the end of his message. Again, hundreds of years later, he says, take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. Notice the quote marks there in the text. He's quoting Habakkuk. He's pointing back to this event hundreds and hundreds of years earlier in 600 BC. Everything is pointing to what Jesus will eventually do. So my friends, if you are frustrated and don't get what God is up to, you're in good company. Jesus' original disciples didn't get a lot of stuff either. They didn't understand his suffering. They didn't know why he tolerated evil and injustice. But Jesus chose to endure injustice on the cross as a demonstration of the depth of God's love. And then his resurrection became the culmination of his message that suffering can and will be redeemed. So we're back to where we began. In what ways are you struggling right now? In what ways are you frustrated with God? In what ways are you wondering if he knows what he's doing? In those moments, look to Jesus. He wrestles. That's what he does in the garden. He wrestles, yet he's faithful. Faithful wrestling. I hope you can wrestle faithfully. 
The goal is to find some measure of peace with the mysterious nature of God's actions and not walk away. If it's really difficult right now, maybe this is a season where you're questioning God. Be okay with that. It would appear that God is. It's okay to wrestle honestly with God today. Cry out to him, but try to stay faithful. Choose to believe that God is at work in your circumstance, and hopefully someday how God is redeeming it will be made clear. Until then, trust him, believe in him, and look to him. And let's do that together. If you're able, why don't you stand with me and let me close in prayer. And I'll pray for all of us this morning. So, Heavenly Father, for my friends in the room and for those pieces of me that are frustrated and struggling right now, and I submit my frustrations, I lay them at your feet, and I implore uh, my friends here to do the same. God, anytime we, we speak uh, messages like this, I know it, it triggers um, some real strong emotions in a few. For those who need an extra touch of your spirit today, God, I pray that you would provide that by your presence, by the uh, affirmation of a fellow believer. And may we together encourage each other as we collectively wrestle faithfully. God, redeem what you're doing. Redeem what's happening in this world. Give us some glimpses of what you're really ultimately up to, even when we're struggling to see it. Help us to walk into this week with that ability to wrestle with you faithfully. And we pray this together in your name. Amen. May God bless you as you go, everybody. Thanks for being here this morning. From the throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. Praise the